Well, it was just a few weeks ago on that October 1st day when that student walked into a school with five handguns and began shooting. Another horrific, horrific event of violence and hatred. Troubled youth acting out. And friends, you remember something about that event that this, this young man took a gun and pointed it to people's head and said, are you a Christian? You can't but help to hear that account and wonder, what would you do? You remember the pattern. If you profess to stand for Christ, you were shot in the head. Deny him? It was only a body shot. I don't want to get shot. And I've had brain surgery, if you forgot. <laughs> Messing with the head ain't that fun either. But it really begins to enter into the conversation. How far are you really willing to go for the cause of Christ? You know, when I think back at the first century... I mean, the truth is out there, and the church is, is established, it is growing and expanding. And wherever the apostle, the apostle Paul and his missionary journey, there seems to be a band of Jews following him, wanting this guy to be dead, to silence the gospel. Wherever, wherever he went, it seemed, he faced opposition. Hmm. And as the church grew, so did the opposition. We know the stories of persecution, how Christians were sewed up in animal skin and thrown to wild dogs to be devoured, how people were covered in wax to be used as human candles to be burned alive. How far would you go to make a stand for Jesus? I mean, what if it cost you your life? It is an amazing thing in perhaps one of the greatest uh, kingdoms of all the earth, the Roman Empire, how Christianity turned the world upside down. And mostly Christianity was made up of peasants, uneducated people who simply took their faith in Christ seriously. And they were willing to give it all. But how did they do it? I mean, really. You know, the, the church, uh, you know, we know the reputation that we, we have this amazing truth. We have these amazing promises, but we tend to fumble it around. And that was no reference to the Michigan-Michigan State game last night either, so. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, friends. I'll tell you how they did it. One scholar suggested there were three reasons. Three reasons why Christianity was, was able to turn this empire upside down. First reason suggested is they had become too strong to be defeated. I mean, in some provinces, in uh, Bithynia, Serenia, in northern Egypt and Libya, think of those on the map today, that uh, Christianity had become so well organized and so populated, they became a majority Second, uh, Christians tended to attract people. And it was really the clarity and simplicity of the message of the gospel as opposed to the complicated deities that men had made up and their myths and their rules. 
And people were drawn to the faith in Christ, the the gift of love that Jesus gave in laying down his life for our sin. But the last one really intrigues me. And, And I want to read this to you. Christianity had never lost its martyr spirit. Now, the word martyr is a tricky word. In the New Testament, it is, it is uh, translated as the word to witness. To be a martyr is to be a witness, to give testimony of what you know to be true and hold true in your life. But we know that that word martyr has also come to mean people who die because of what they believe, people who are put to death because of their faith in Christ. And Christianity never lost the martyr spirit. As one contemporary uh, 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 historian had explained, there was, there was another cause why God permits persecution to be carried out among us, that the people of God may be increased. Imagine that. While people are trying to wipe out the faith, the church continues to grow. I mean, in Egypt, uh, 311, 312, a Roman historian Eusebius uh, was an eyewitness to the final horrors of Maximinus' uh, persecution. He was an emperor, and, and he, was, he was thriving and striving above all to wipe out Christianity. And his account of the faith of these Christians certainly should blow you away. He writes that we ourselves beheld when we were at these places, many Christians all at once in a single day, some of whom suffered beheading and were just slicing off people's heads, other punishment by fire, so that the murderous axe was dulled. They had killed so many Christians, they had dulled the blade of this axe, and yet they kept on going. And even in light of this, As soon as the sentence was given against the first, condemned to die, Hmm. from one quarter and then another of the town, people would show up and be led up to the tribunal before the judges and confess that they too were Christians. They stood in line willing to die for Christ. That's why Christianity turned the world upside down. Because they were willing to lay down their lives for it. Even, can I say, gladly lay down their lives. Do you see a difference between a willingness and to gladly lay down your life for Christ? Go look at some passages of Scripture. Some instruction here this morning about persecution. Is it coming? I don't know. But if it does, certainly we ought to be prepared. So today, in this series entitled The Scary Things of Scripture, the, pro- the, 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 the topic today is persecution. And how a Christian ought to face it. And the first point I want to make here today, the first instruction is this, is that if persecution is to come, it ought to be expected. It ought to be expected. And you say, why? Why should we expect that? Isn't that just a history thing and you're just watching what's going on? No. 
All we have to do is look back at what the Scripture says. I mean, Jesus warned us about persecution. In John chapter 15, verses 18 through 19, he said this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus said there will be a day and they will oppose you. Paul warned us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verses 10 and 12. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching and my conduct and my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love and my steadfastness and my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Those are some strong words, friends, regardless if you're a lawyer or not. There ain't no wiggle room in that. All, and all means all, and that's all all means. should write that down and wait. <laughs> All who wish to live godly in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Wow. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And this is one of those math statements. This equals this, and you can reverse it. All who are persecuted... Likely it is caused by the fact that they are living a godly life in Christ Jesus. So if you have not even experienced a hint of persecution, the connection might be your commitment to the life of living this life of Christ. Hmm. So Jesus warned us. Paul certainly laid it out for us. Even Luke in the, in the book of uh, Acts the Acts of the Apostles in Acts chapter 14. You're not going to believe what he said here or what he recorded for us in Acts 14, 19 to 23. Again, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the, cloud, the crowds, they stoned Paul. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby. The guy would not quit. But this is the life that God had called him to on the road to Damascus. Certainly, you know, the, this great light shining down. And God had said how many things he must suffer. It was a life that Paul was called to suffer. Like Jeremiah's calling. When God called Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, he said, everybody's going to want to kill you, and they'll hurt you, but I won't let them kill you. You'll just be in pain a lot. Because that's what it means to make a stand for me against, as, as, a, as a candle, as a light in the darkness. People will want to put you out, my friends. 
And that, that isn't always a violent thing. Sometimes it means looking over you for a promotion. Puts you in the, the worst part of the building so you can't talk to anyone. It means being left out when everyone is laughing. You're left in the corner wondering. Persecution comes in all kinds of different levels. But friends, when you make a stand for Jesus, people will oppose you. So here in, in Acts... When they had preached the gospel to that city, verse 21, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. To make a stand for Jesus does nothing more than put a target on you. And I know that we have learned well how to keep targets off of us, how to sit in the back and how to keep your hand down and not look too much at people. And we know how to, how to avoid this kind of attention. But through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so it isn't just Jesus and Paul and Luke, but Peter. Even Peter talked about persecution. You're like, man, this is everywhere in the Bible. And it's not the kind of stuff you put in stitch work in a frame and put on your wall. But maybe it ought to be. Because it reminds us what faith in making a stand for Jesus might cause us to endure. Take a look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Can we just take a moment and realize how absurd that statement is? Don't be surprised when they gather you together and light you on fire because of your faith in Christ. I mean, as if that's strange or something. As though something strange were happening. I mean, Paul's like, when you make a stand for Jesus, people will pick up rocks. And do you know what the rule was for stoning people? They didn't allow the really big stones that would kill you right away. Had to be a little smaller to make you suffer. Suffering for the cause of Christ, a willingness to lay down your life, to sacrifice yourself for the gospel's sake. Paul knew what that was all about, and so did Peter. But then just a bit of a reminder here. He says, verse 15, uh, 14, <laughs> 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Okay, Peter must have got crazy in his old age because he just said, when you're suffering for the cause of Christ, you ought to rejoice. Apparently, Peter knows something about a willingness to lay down our life that maybe we don't. He says that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Apparently, just as Paul wrote, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. 
You may have noticed it's gotten colder outside. <laughs> Did you notice that? It means wintertime is coming. It means it's going to get even colder. And you know what happens when it gets colder? People tend to sniffle and wipe their hands and then shake yours and give you a big hug and stuff. And then you get sick. You know the wonder of being sick is it's hard to imagine just how horrible it was the last time you were sick. How achy you felt and you, you know, your nose is all red from all of those tissues rubbing like sandpaper on you. You're like, oh, I got stuff to do, but I can't, I feel horrible. How many of you have gotten a flu shot? I know the rest of you have political feelings about flu shots. <laughs> Either that or you've forgotten how horrible you feel. Or maybe you just don't like shots. <laughs> Appreciate the honesty in the front row here. <laughs> but really a shot. Come on, people. I get them every two weeks and I just got my flu shot. It doesn't hurt. It's in your head. Can you hear that? That's really loud when I do that. <laughs> it's worth it. It's just worth it. You don't know when you're going to end up sick and you really got stuff to do and it's a horrible time. Get the flu shot. The sufferings of this present time are like a flu shot in light of pneumonia. Friends, just get the shot. Friends, lay out your life for Christ. Stop holding on as if it's the most valuable thing you have. Your citizenship is in heaven. Your home is there. Your life is hidden in Christ. Let go and make a stand for Jesus. Peter warns us here, but rejoice when you can share in Christ's sufferings. What an honor it will be to be able to die for Jesus. That's a different perspective, friends, that we need to work on getting there. It would be an honor to be persecuted for Christ's sake, to make a stand that says he is worth it. It's, it's, it's the Job thing. I know we seem to be talking about Job every week, and God takes away everything. I came in with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If God has chosen you to demonstrate to a lost person or crowd that he is worth it, is that not a great calling? That's what Peter's talking about. Is there a better way? You say, I would die for my wife. Well, yeah, that's easy to take a bullet. It's like a really big shot. <laughs> I don't want to get shot either, but you know what's really hard? Is giving your life for a day after day. Getting your attention and your desire off yourself and looking out for somebody else. I'll tell you, the two go hand in hand. People most willing to die for someone else are the people that live for that person day after day, giving their life moment by moment. And so Peter warned us. We have these warnings everywhere in Scripture. But not only should we expect it, please remove your stones from your uh, wallets and purses at this moment. <laughs> we should welcome it. I know, you're like, that dude had brain surgery. He might need it again. 
We should welcome it because persecution is profitable. Don't believe it? Remember that Philippians passage we were talking about, chapter 1? Paul lays out here some great things that happen in the church when the church is under persecution. Take a look with me, if you will, Philippians chapter 1, and we'll jump in at verse 12. We notice a number of things that occur when the church is persecuted. I want you to notice here in verse 12, we see that when the church is persecuted, the gospel is proclaimed. I mean, this was Paul's experience, but it isn't only his experience. And who is the gospel proclaimed to? First of all, the, per- the persecutors, the oppressors, those who stand against us. It is made known why. You, you traverse the, the life of Paul in the book of Acts, and, and you see his destiny is to die for the cause of Christ. He's going to die serving him. It's going to happen. He's going to make it to Rome, and they're going to take off his head. But everywhere along the line, everybody knows why. It isn't because he believes in the, the resurrection. He believes in the resurrection. He's talking about the gospel, and he's preaching Christ everywhere he goes. And every time a crowd is assembled to kill him, the gospel is made known. And so the first people to know it are the oppressors. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I mean, they're stoning him. They're beating him. They're doing everything they can to kill this guy. And Paul says, no, it's pretty good because the gospel is getting out there. I suppose it really depends on what you truly value in this life. And we know Paul's commitment to the gospel was enormous. And we know that because he was willing to suffer for it. And so this has happened to me, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Why is he in jail? Because he believes that Jesus died for a sin and rose from the dead and that he is coming back again. My friends, the gospel is proclaimed to those who oppress, but I notice also that watching people suffer tends to make people get out of their seat. If he can do it, so can we. Notice here in verse 14, by motivated believers, and most of the brothers having become, notice that word, having become, being challenged by Paul's testimony that I would die for him confident, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are even much more bold to speak the word without fear. And so people are encouraged. They are emboldened. They know what they face, and they're willing to stand up and face it. Motivated believers are now preaching the gospel. Look at verse 15. Even envious rivals. Look at verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry but others from goodwill. I mean, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And so Paul makes it clear that these opportunities are an opportunity for Paul to do some, uh, some defending of the gospel, to stand up and talk more about Christ and who he is and what he has accomplished and the promises that he has made. Verse 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, 
Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But they're talking about the gospel and people here. I mean, some of the phonies on TV, they may mention the gospel, but they may be doing it to get a buck out of your pocket. But God can draw someone to turn on a TV at the right time and hear the gospel and believe, even though their desires are contrary to the gospel. God can even use those who oppose it. For I know, verse 19, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is debated whether Paul is talking about, you know, the get out of free or get out of the body. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's the way Paul saw it. This is going to work out regardless. I'm either going to see Christ or I'm going to be able to die for him or I'm going to stay here and, and live for him. But friends, when the church is persecuted, the gospel is proclaimed. People realize what's at stake, and they know it'll cost them, and they're willing to step up and take the challenge. Hmm. Kind of makes you wonder, is that really what it's going to take to motivate some of us to talk to our family members and friends, the neighbors, people across the street? Friends, the gospel is proclaimed when persecution arises. And when the church is persecuted, I notice also that Christ is honored. Christ is honored when people are saying, I will lay down my life for you. And we know Peter said that, and then he went and hid. Well, the first time, but not the second time, friends. Look at this in verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all that I will be at all ashamed, but that with the full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death, in my ministry for him or in my call to die, making a stand for him. Christ will be honored. Verse 21, by sacrificing for Jesus is a way that Christ is honored. Continued service or sacrificing all for him. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul had the right attitude. My citizenship is in heaven. My home is there, and the one I love is waiting. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. And there is Paul realizing that both whatever it is that leads to glory is the choice he wants to make. So when the church is persecuted, Christ is honored. I notice in verse 27, when the church is persecuted, the church is unified, striving together for the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel. And so there they are, being drawn together. And not frightened at anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. And so the church is unified, striving together for the gospel. In here in verse 29 and 30, standing together in the face of suffering. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, 
you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Little glimpse of normative Christianity in the first century. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, that word granted has as its uh, root word the word grace. In God's grace, he has not only called you to live for him, but to suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And Paul wrote this letter from prison. Suffering for preaching the gospel. Well, friends, let's wrap it up here. You ready? Let's bring it home. Let's tie the knot. Sermon in a sentence. How do we wrap it up? Well, in light of what we've studied here this morning, we can certainly agree that opposition to the church is certainly an opportunity for the church. God wastes nothing. Opposition to the church is an opportunity for the church. So this leaves us this question, this very important question. How can we get in on this good persecution? I'm going to say that again because you didn't believe I said it. How can we get in on this good persecution? I mean, how can we join Paul in the church in the first century that was willing to stand up for Christ even if it cost them their life? Well, in light of the things that we've studied here, Paul reminded us that if we live godly in Christ Jesus, we will suffer persecution. If you're trying to avoid it, keep the gospel to yourself. But how you're going to stand before God on that day and say, you know, it just really wasn't worth it. I mean, you know, I I like the good parking spaces and I like it when everyone is nice to me. So I just kept the gospel to myself. Preach the gospel. I know it sounded like we just talked about that. Just live it out. Live the life. Make the stand and make the gospel known. And the gospel by which we are saved is... Make it known. You know it. See, that's not an excuse anymore. You know exactly what it is. It's ten words. Ten words. Friends, open your eyes to the opportunities. When your eyes are open toward it, and you, you say, God, give me the opportunity to tell someone. Bring them into my life. Redirect my schedule today so I can talk to someone about you. Why would God not answer that prayer? Friends, open yourself up for it and preach the gospel. Remember that word preach doesn't mean get up on a platform and have everybody sit with a Bible open. It means nothing more than to proclaim it, to make it known. And then finally, watch the church be the church. When the church is the church, persecution will arise and God will be glorified And friends, we will see his grace and his glory as we've never seen it before. God help us. God help us not to fear, to fear opposition, to run from persecution, but to realize it may be our call in this generation to make a stand for you that will bring glory to you as we lay down our life for you. Certainly, God, we can communicate to the world that you are worth it. Certainly, we will hold dear to the truth, the promise that you made that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed. 
God, may our hearts hold tightly to your promise. And as a result, that we would live for you. And I pray it in Jesus' name.